You're listening to Elk Point Baptist Church. Subscribe to our podcast to hear every sermon and like us on Facebook by searching Elk Point Baptist Church, located in Elk Point, South Dakota. Trivia tonight. We want to give uh, the Hoffman family as, as much time as possible. Hey, by the way, you are welcome to come up and get some candy. Come on. You know you want some. I got chocolate. I got Skittles. I got the good stuff. Go, 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 go. I know you want some. But uh, should we do the video at this time? Or... All right. Uh, we are going to do the. There's a video at this time that we're going to play. And then uh, Pastor changes mind. At the risk of insulting Brother Brent tonight, we're kindred spirits, I believe. Um, but uh, but no, it is a joy to have the uh, the Hoffman family here. I've known Brother Hoffman. Uh, from we, we do some online uh, Bible studies and stuff together uh, that that goes out like to the world. I mean, people all over watching it. You're on. Can I go, can I go live now? No. Uh, give me a second. Uh, but uh, but no, we, we do it with Brother Junior Haley. Some of you remember him, and he'll be somebody that we're going to be bringing up uh, as Miss Sarah Sue is now our new mission secretary. We've been in kind of flux with our uh, missions uh, secretary and stuff for a while, but uh, we're going to. We're going to make that official Sunday. We're kind of doing a little bit of it. It'll all be good, but she's doing that. So it'll help us get back on track with our missions uh, and everything a little bit. So we're excited about that. But Brother Junior will be one that we're bringing up. But then, uh, but Brother Hoffman, we do these, uh, I don't know, question and answer stuff. Uh, uh, we do debates and uh, we argue and stuff online. And uh, Brother Hoffman's one of, the, one of the funner ones to do that with. So, uh, yeah, if you, uh, I, I, can, I can point you to some of that. It's pretty fun stuff sometimes, but... Anyway, so I've had the privilege of knowing Brother Hoffman. He'll tell you more about uh, his uh, ministry and everything, but I'm super excited to have the family here, his wife Jennifer and uh, all, all the beautiful children. Um, yes, you too, Joab. And uh, it reminds me of, uh, I, I don't know why I think about this, but uh, I remember one time I was preaching in a church and the preacher was announcing, uh, you know, he was talking about me kind of like I'm trying to talk about the Hoffmans a little bit, and he just said, uh, yeah, it's good to have uh, Jesse here and uh, uh, he and his wife, Melanie, and their son and their two beautiful daughters. And among our three daughters, they're looking at each other trying to figure out which one's not beautiful. You know, <laughs> But we had two beautiful daughters uh, that night. But anyway, um, I think they know which. No, I'm just kidding. But uh, anyway, but we are blessed to have the Hoffmans uh, here tonight. And uh, what we are going to do is we'll, we'll go ahead and show his uh, video right now, uh, his presentation. And Brother Hoffman, at that point, I'm just going to turn it over to you. And he said something about doing an interpretive dance I don't know, but uh, whatever, however the Lord feels, uh, however the Lord leads him, if he has Joab come up and sing, or whatever happens, I'm turning the service completely over to uh, Brother Hoffman, and you just run with it. We'll make sure to have a basket out on the table, so I don't know if Christian or Ryan, if y'all can make sure one of those baskets that get back on the table uh, to put anything that you'd like to give additionally. Uh, the church does give them something as well, but if there's something additionally that you'd like to put back there, by the lost and found box, Christian. Um, so, you'd do that so at this time i believe we'll show the video so you can go live whenever you're ready all right 
my name is Brent Hoffman. I'm a missionary down here in Costa Rica, along with my wife, Jennifer, and our children, Gabriela, Joab, Kira, Vienna, and Judah. And we are your missionaries here in Costa Rica. And first of all, I want to thank you so much for all you've done for us, for your prayers, for your support, for your faithfulness in always supporting us, because without your sacrifice, uh, we would not be able to be down here serving the Lord. So we had originally uh, raised our support to go down to the country of Panama, which is one country south of us right now where we're at. In 2017, we came to Costa Rica to language school to learn the language of Spanish. And we had spent almost the entire year here. And at the end of December of 2017, we moved to Panama to start working for the Lord down there, uh, pursue our calling down there. And after six months, we discovered that uh, Jen's heart was just not able to handle the heat, the humidity. She had pre-existing conditions that we were unaware of. And after much prayer, we, uh, we were forced to, to move back up to Costa Rica. But thank the Lord, He did not close the door on us. Sometimes we, uh, you feel like, oh, the one door closes, what else am I going to do? But the Lord so wonderfully opened up another door for us to continue working here in Costa Rica. One of the jobs of a missionary is to provide hope for the lost. We are here to provide hope to the other people. 1 Corinthians 15, 19 says, If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we have all men most miserable. So one of the things we're trying to do here is provide hope to the people. And one of those things, there's many different areas you can, you can provide hope. But what we're looking at, we're looking at providing hope to the hopeless. A couple years ago, the Lord opened up a door for us in this area called Tirasis. And God has opened up a door here in an area that's not quite very desirable. But God has opened the door up here for us in a place called Tirasis. Most of the prostitutes in San Jose come from here. Many drug lords are down here. And a lot of times people here, when they ask, they ask us where the church is, we say, Tirasis, they say, oh, why for that area? It's kind of like in the Bible when Philip went to find Nathaniel, and he said, we have found the Messiah. And Nathaniel said, can anything good come from Nazareth? And it's the same thought here. People say, can anything good come from Tirasis? But Jesus Christ still came to this earth to die for these people here. It doesn't matter if it's a nice area or it's a not nice area. These poor people still have a soul that Jesus Christ died for. And we're here to provide them that hope that Jesus Christ loves them as well. Another area we try to offer hope for is in the homes. Like we come down here to Tidasis and we offer hope to the hopeless, but also offer hope to the homes. I can take you to our church people. And pretty much every church person has a, has a devastating story that people in America would not realize. We have two sisters in church. They actually started out in church with us at the very beginning. Uh, one had a baby at 13. The other had a baby at 14. We have another young man who watched his sister choke to death when he was seven years old and she was 12 because he couldn't get to his mother in time and warn her. We have another man that has struggled with, with drugs and alcohol his whole life. So really, these homes, they have no hope. Like I said before, most of the prostitutes come from this area. These girls really have no future. The moms see their girls and they say, what, what, what are these kids going to do? They see their boys and their only hope for the future, the only hope for their homes is to work for the drug lords, is to work selling drugs. There are kids in this area that sold drugs at 12 years old. They started 12 years old selling drugs, walking around with guns. We've seen so many kids saved. We have seen mothers open the doors and say, please help us with our kids because we don't want them to turn out. We don't want them to go through what we had to go through. And we can show them the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ and how he saves. And these kids are in church. We have so many kids in church that their future is very bright. And their parents are so excited because they don't have to live in the streets. They don't have to work for the drug lords. They see another way out for their kids. They see a way through Jesus Christ. So the third area we're trying to focus on with this hope is the hope through healing. Right now our country, just like 
every other country in the world is going through this pandemic, through this, this fear, and our government here is very strong, very strict on their regulations, and they're promoting everything almost to the point of hysteria, where we're still required to wear masks everywhere, people are scared to greet each other, and we're trying to grow our church through this, we're trying to help our people lead them away from the hysteria, we're trying to heal them with the Word of God, with the Gospel, with the fact that we're brothers and sisters in Christ, we can love on each other, it's fine. Um, last year in 2020, the government shut down our church, shut down every church in this country from March until April, no church whatsoever. But during this time, uh, every two weeks we go and visit our church people. We take them, we take them rice, we take them beans, because a lot of them without work. We take them other essentials for them to, to get through this, and we just show them that we love them, that we can heal together through this. And during this time, when, when church opened back up in August, thank the Lord, from August until now, our church has over doubled in size. Many churches around here, their pastors are asking me, how are you doubling? And I said, it's because we're healing together. We're showing them the love of Jesus Christ. We're showing how much we love them as brothers and sisters in Christ. And lastly, we're offering the hope of heaven. In a country that is strongly Catholic, that is very familiar with religion, but not familiar with Jesus Christ, we can tell them there is hope for heaven. You don't have to walk around in fear. You don't have to walk around worrying what's going to happen if you get COVID or if something bad happens to you. Because we have seen people saved. We've seen entire families saved. Get in church. Baptize. And now they are offering their hope of heaven to other people. They're inviting people to church. And it's been so wonderful to see them receive the hope of heaven and then share the hope of heaven with other people. In a country that is very familiar with religion, three million people come to this place every year to pray. But very few have a have personal knowledge of Jesus Christ as their Savior. We've been able to plant seeds of hope in the hearts and minds of many people. And thank the Lord that seed of hope has sprouted as they've realized their need of salvation. They've accepted Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. And not only that, those people are now moving on and planting seeds of hope in other hearts and other minds. And we've been able to accomplish this together with your faithful support and your prayers. Thank you so much for your sacrifice in helping us stay down here and plant those seeds of hope. Thank you. So about last October, November, I'm actually I was with I think I was online with, with, with you and all that was going down, wasn't I? I was on doing one of those debates uh, with your pastor when this was all going down. The government got really restrict or really strict on a lot of the restrictions and just like put the hammer down on everything. And the Lord made it very clear that we just couldn't stay there. We made it. There's like several things that happened about three or four months in a row um, between not having the our house getting sold out from underneath us and. And there's restrictions and health issues and something. I got attacked by a crackhead. So everything was just like, just boom, 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 right right in a row. And Lord made it very obvious we couldn't stay there. Uh, we did not want to leave. We really didn't. Those, those are our church people. We love those people. A uh, big part of our heart will always be down there. But Lord just made it obvious to me that we couldn't stay there. Uh, my dad's a pastor in Northwest Indiana. And I told my dad, I said, so if we stay here, I feel like I'm directly disobeying the Lord. And I can't do that. I mean, you can't do that. So we were, I mean, we were really, really um, upset about it. Our hearts were broken. 
And so I, honestly, I thought we were going to leave the field. I thought we were going to be done being a missionary totally. And uh, actually, Brother Junior Halen, <laughs> he told me we were, we were doing something online together. And actually, it was right after you, because you guys hung up, and Brother Junior and I, I stayed on there like 15 minutes longer after. And he, he said, why don't you just pray about coming to Belgium? I said, well, okay, but I didn't mean it. <laughs> you know, and, yeah, I didn't want to, okay? I didn't want, I didn't want to leave Costa Rica. I didn't want to. I said, okay, we'll pray, but I wasn't serious. It's like, you know, when your kids say, can we have ice cream after, after church? You say, sure, but you don't mean it, and you just kind of lie to them. It's one of those. It's one of those things. And I said, oh, sure, I'll pray about it, but I didn't really do that. But then Lord just made it so obvious we couldn't stay there, and I started praying in earnest about that. And Lord sent us a very good man to take the church down there in Costa Rica. Those people are still in church, uh, still going there, still growing, thank the Lord. So they did not get abandoned. I was not going to leave them alone. I was not going to leave my sheep without a shepherd. So the Lord sent a good man down there, and so he's watching the church, or he's, he took over the church, so everything's good to go down there. And everything just started opening up with Brother Junior, and most of our, pretty much all of our churches were on board, our supporting churches, and Lord just really opened the doors up. So we left Costa Rica in February, and Lord willing, in September, we're going to go over there to Belgium and work with, actually, we're originally going to work with Brother Junior, but I don't know, have you ever done anything with Brother Mikkel, the other missionary in Belgium? Uh, I don't know if you knew this or not, his son just passed away. 31-year-old son just passed away of a heart attack, um, very just very suddenly, obviously. Left behind a two-year-old daughter, and his wife is four months, five months pregnant. So he passed away about what seven, eight weeks ago. So it was really, it's really, really sad. So Brother Mikkel called me up, and uh, he has a church down there with the military, about an hour south of Brother Junior, and he asked me to take over the church. So when we get there, it, the, the works are all in English because Brother Junior has a university town, so everyone uh, works or speaks English there, and. Brother Mickle's um, church is military church, so everything's in English. So Lord willing, we're going to go over there uh, in September, uh, take over that church down there in the south. So, I mean, the church needs someone to take it over, and Lord had us prepared. I mean, such a time as this, you know. Uh, not what we all wanted. It's not our plan, but Lord's plan is better than our plan. So Lord willing, we go over there in September. Still, Junior and I still have a plan to, to plant another church in the far eastern part of the country in, of Belgium uh, a little later on. So... Uh, Lord willing, we're going there. So I do thank you for having us here. Um, he's the only, only, only guy to ever beat me in one of those debates. Your pastor. So <laughs> I'm not bitter or jealous or anything. It's okay. <laughs> Derek, is that your name? Do you, are you sure? Do you have a twin named Aaron in Indiana? Seriously, you you look just like you look just like my cousin. You really do. Down to the, he has the same chin hair. You even sit like him. I'm not. I'm not exaggerating. Actually, we saw you walk in and go, is that Aaron? <laughs> He's one of, Yeah, that's how Aaron is too, yeah. But, but deep down, a massive teddy bear. Yes. Aaron's three years older than me, and I was younger. He used to hold me upside down and shake all the change out of my pockets. That was Aaron. So, do you do that too? Okay. <laughs> he also brought us mentos every Sunday to church, so I don't know if you have that or not. Because you sat down, and Jen saw you sit down, and she goes, where's my mentos? <laughs> But you do. You look. You look just like my cousin. It's a good thing. He's one of my favorite cousins. So, even if he did steal all my change growing up, it's okay. <laughs> all right. We're going to go to uh, the Book of Mark. The Book of Mark. Brother, what time do you normally get done on Wednesdays? Seven ten. Oh wow. Okay. Okay. We're done. All right. We'll see you guys. <laughs> okay. Okay. We're going to the book of Mark. Does anyone have any questions about like Costa Rica or Belgium or anything else? 
If not, we'll jump right into the message. Do you normally use this, or I find it's very distracting. I'm okay. Well, I'm short, so I kind of I feel like it's pointing right at my forehead. That's <laughs> thank you, thank you for acknowledging that I'm short. Okay, I appreciate that. <laughs> so it's, I mean, it's nothing. My my dad's six foot. My brother's six foot. I'm not, so it's okay. My little brother is six foot. It's not fair. It really isn't. And her brother, my wife's brother, is six seven. So that's really not fair. Every time he sees you, he gives you a hug, and your face goes right in his armpit. It's like, hi, Rick, nice to see you again. There you go. So we're going to go to Mark 14. Mark 14. And first of all, we're going to start off with a word of prayer. Dear Lord, thank you for this evening you've given us. Lord, I thank you for this church. I thank you for these people. Lord, uh, they come out here on a Wednesday evening to hear from your word. Lord, they came here to grow. They came here to just get something so they, to help them uh, face the world. Lord, I do ask you to just get me out of the way. Ask you to give them what you've given me out of this message. If it is you on your name, amen. Amen. All right, Mark 14, 46 through 52. My family's excited because they've never heard this message. There's one thing as a missionary, you're not supposed to preach a new message to a new church. But I don't, I don't follow that. I just do, I do, I do what I feel like sometimes. So, so my, my family's all excited. They're used, they're, used to, they're used to hearing three sermons, so they're going to hear the fourth one now. So they're excited. Mark 14, verse 46. We're going to start off from this, in this verse here. And they laid their hands on him and took him. We're talking about Jesus Christ. And one of them that stood by drew a sword and smote a servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. If you read in, different, in one of the different accounts there, I think it's in John, we, do, we see that it's Peter. Uh, verse 48 says, And Jesus answered and said unto them, Are ye come out as against a thief with swords and with staves to take me? I was daily with you in the temple teaching, and you took me not. The scriptures must be fulfilled. And they all forsook him and fled. And there followed him a certain young man, having a linen cloth cast about his naked body, and the young men laid hold on him. And he left the linen cloth and fled from them naked. And they led Jesus away to the high priest, and with him were assembled all the chief priests and the elders and the scribes. And Peter followed him afar off, even into the palace of the high priest. And he sat with his servants and warmed himself at the fire. And we're going to leave off there. If you look further on, this is the famous story of Jesus Christ in the Garden of Gethsemane. Uh, when he was there, when he was, when he was betrayed by Judas, we know that, that bad disciple there that betrayed Jesus with a kiss. And, uh, this is, and the story here is just a little bit, this has always caught me off guard. There's something a little different here because it's like a two-verse little thing here that just makes no sense. It doesn't really fit in the chapter, in the, fit in the story. Uh, verses 51 and 52, that certain young man. Said there followed him a certain young man having a linen cloth cast about his naked body, and the young men lay hold on him. And he left the linen cloth and fled from them naked. And if you look at this story, this story is in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John of Jesus being betrayed in the Garden of Gethsemane. If you look in Matthew, if you look in Luke, if you look in John, this young man has, is, doesn't make an appearance. And it's just so weird. It's like, what does this have to do with the story? You, know, you, have talk, you know the story of Jesus praying, and the disciples, Peter, James, and John, went there, and they fell asleep, and they couldn't pray. And then Judas came and gave Jesus a kiss, and he was betrayed, and everyone came. And we see the story of Peter... And we see this story when they came, they're looking for Jesus. And Jesus said, who are you? Who are you looking for? I said, we're looking for Jesus. He said, I am he. And they all fell down backwards and they all got back up. And they took him. And then here you see in the story, they take, take him away. And Peter follows. And the story just kind of follows Jesus and Peter. But there's this weird two-verse thing here. That's just like, what does this have to do with anything? You ever had those things like, what, you see a movie, it's like, what did they have to do with anything in the movie? They had nothing to do with it. They just threw it in there. Or you say, or you read a book or, or something or or one of your kids tells a story, you know? You ever get that? And they tell a story, and they keep going on and on, and they, 
throw this totally unnecessary thing that takes 30 minutes to get over. And it's like, can you just get to the point, please? <laughs> it, it's, that's kind of what this is. It's just like some little weird thing to the story. And it always, it always fascinated me. And I like reading my Bible. I like reading my Bible. I like preaching on little weird things in the Bible, or little obscure things in the Bible. Because we all preach about Jesus. We all preach about Peter and James and John and all that. But this, I, w- I wanted to focus on these two verses here. Uh, we don't know who it is. The Bible doesn't say who it is. If I had to guess, I would say maybe it's Mark, the author of the book. I, wouldn't, I would not stake my salvation on that. Maybe it is. Uh, I asked a friend. I said, who do you think it is? He said, he said maybe he's a rich young ruler. Remember that when Jesus came? He came and he said, what should I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said, sell everything. My friend said, maybe he sold all his clothes and just that was him. <laughs> you never know. <laughs> so, but it's just, it's, just, it's just a weird thing. But I believe that God puts things in the Bible, weird things in the Bible, to see if we're paying attention. You ever do that when you read your Bible? You're like, okay, good, I'm done. You ever do that? Anyone else do that? Just me? Okay, you guys are all liars. I know you all do that, okay? I know you do. You just get it? Okay, we read our book. We read our Bible. got the checklist doing. Boom, we're going to, we go. But Jesus, or God puts weird things in the Bible to see if we're paying attention. What does the Bible say? Study to show yourself approved to God? Or... Read really quick your, your 15 verses a day or your chapter a day, and you're good. To show yourself proven to God. What's the Bible say? Study. Study to show yourself proven to God. So I want to study this, this guy here first. Uh, my wife's kind of a killjoy because I want to title this something else, and she said no. I want to title it The Naked Young Man. She's like, that's weird. Don't do that. So I had to title it The Certain Young Man because that's what the Bible said. She, do, she doesn't let me have any fun, really. She doesn't. But it's okay. I had another, another title for a different sermon. She squashed that one too. But that's okay. But so I want to look at this uh, certain young man here in verse 51 and 52. Because if we think about it, he was just a random person that we don't know anything about. And he just ran away. Naked. Just gone. Boom. Ashamed. Embarrassed. He was just nothing. He, he, the Bible didn't name him. He was just some anonymous person that just left. And I want, to, I want to kind of focus on him tonight because I kind of categorize him as a Christian. Because if you look in the garden here, the only people that were there was Jesus, his, some of his followers, and the bad guys. This guy wasn't a bad guy because the bad guys grabbed him. So he's probably one of the followers. I wouldn't say he's, I don't think he's one of the disciples. I think Jesus had a lot more followers than the disciples. I think he was someone that was just kind of following Jesus, but from afar. He wasn't, like, he wasn't close to Jesus. He just kind of want to be where Jesus was, but he didn't want to live a serious life with Jesus around the center. And I want to think of that as kind of a Christian. A lot of us, we know where to find Jesus. He knew Jesus was in the garden because he was there. And he kind of went there, but he kind of stood far back, close enough to get to the action, but not that close to Jesus because he didn't want anyone to know he was part of Jesus' crowd, you know. He didn't want, to be, he didn't want everyone to know he's a Christian. You know, he didn't want everyone to know that, you know, I'm with him. Kind of like some Christians. You know, I'm a Christian, but like undercover. My dad always said, there's no such thing as a secret service Christian, right? If you're a Christian, be proud about it. Man, I'm proud I'm a Christian. Not because I'm great, but because God's great. Look what he did. Man, he's wonderful. But this young man, just kind of a young man, had nothing, just slept. And everyone's like, I wonder who that is. You ever do that? You come in church sometimes, and you're like, I wonder what happened to that one person that came to church. And they're gone. They don't serve Jesus anymore. They're just out there. They're not doing anything. They just ran away ashamed. Uh, may I, may, can I remind us here? We're going to go to 2 Corinthians 5.10. Keep your hand here, Mark. But I, want to kind of, I, I want to focus on this man tonight, this young man here, because I want to remind us all, and I want to encourage us all here, 
we're all in the same for Jesus Christ someday. 2 Corinthians 5.10 says, For we must all appear for the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body, according to what he hath done, whether it be good or bad. We're all going to stand before Jesus Christ someday. If you're a Christian, you stand before yeah, everybody. But for, some, for, for us Christians, we're, our works are going to be judged. Not our salvation, but what we did. And I don't want to be that naked Christian in front of Jesus, ashamed and embarrassed and anonymous, like this young man here. That's not, that's not how I want to go up to heaven, because Jesus Christ gave me everything. He left everything for me. He's done everything for me. I would hate to be the Christian that ran away when the times got tough. I'd hate to be that Christian that said, oh, I wonder what ever happened to him. Like, we don't know who this guy is. We don't. The Bible's not, certain, not, not specific about it, but we do know one thing. He's an embarrassment. That's what we know. We know he's an embarrassment. I want to make sure that, we're, that no one here is an embarrassment to Jesus Christ. Um, so I want to I focus, focus on a few things here because the Bible doesn't say much, but you can deduce some things from here. We can just figure out some things from this. Uh, the Bible says a certain, young, certain man, um, how many times? 34 times in the Bible, a certain man. And most of the time in the Old Testament, it says a certain man, then it says their name right away. Like a certain man, uh, Manoah, Samson's dad. There was a certain man, Elimelech, in the book of Ruth. A certain man, uh, Elkanah, the, the, the father of Samuel. Bible usually names them right away. Or in the New Testament is when a certain, a certain person goes before uh, Jesus. The Bible says Jesus healed a certain blind man. Or a certain this or a certain that. It's very, the Bible is very specific. It's very rarely when it says just a certain man and never names him. And I believe it's for a reason. Because this man was an embarrassment. This man, just wasn't, this young man wasn't, wasn't quite ready for, for the Christian life. He really wasn't quite ready to follow Jesus Christ. But like I said before, we can kind of figure out a few things. We know he was one of Jesus' followers because he was there. He knew where to find Jesus. He was only a follower during the good times. He was there. He probably was there during the feeding of the 5,000. He probably saw many miracles. He probably saw Jesus heal blind men. He probably saw Jesus heal the lepers. But then when the going got tough, what happened to him? Boom, there he goes. And we like, we like being around Jesus when he's just blessing us. Says, My bank account's growing. I, it's not, believe me, okay? <laughs> when my bank account's going, everything's good's going on. I like when Jesus is around me, don't I? But man, that, those rough times come, what happened? Boom, we're gone. Or we gripe to Jesus, we complain. But can you imagine the embarrassment? Can you imagine Jesus in this garden, the garden here? They all grab him, soldiers have him, and they're taking him away. And you can imagine just Jesus just looking back like this. And he sees this guy just running away, that way. I mean, he's Jesus. He knows everything. But if it was me, I'd be like, I wonder who that is. You see this guy running way off in the distance. Or if you think that Jesus is like, oh, another one left me. Oh, there goes another one. He wasn't surprised. He knew. But I would hate to be that Christian where I leave in the rough times. And Jesus is looking, oh, there goes Brent. Kind of expected it. There goes sister whatever. There goes brother so-and-so. Kind of expected it. That's not what I want to be. I don't want to be that Christian. I want to be that Christian that's there with Jesus through the whole time. The good times and the bad times. He's a good God in the good times and the bad times, is he not? He's a good Jesus during the good times and the bad times. Why can't I be a good Christian during the good times and the bad times? So we're going to look at this guy, and we're going to figure out some things about him, and we're going to see how we aren't like that, how we cannot be like that. Mark 14, and we'll go back to verse 51. Mark 14, 51. First of all, I'll uh, read, read verse 51 here. It says, And there followed him a certain young man, having a linen cloth cast about his naked body. And the young men laid hold on him. So first of all, what I see is he wasn't prepared. He was not prepared. 
Man, can you imagine that? He's like, he's probably sleeping in the middle of the night. He's like, oh, something's going to happen. And he's like, this is, we, he didn't know it at the time, but this is the biggest event in human history right now. Jesus Christ gets sacrificed on the cross. This dude's like, oh, I got a little rag around me. I'm going to throw it out. I'm ready to go. Imagine just showing up to church, like, I got a little, ra- a little towel wrapped around me. I'm good to go. The biggest event in human, one of the biggest events in human history. He's like, yeah, I'm just going to throw a linen cloth around me. I'll, I'll just kind of hang out. He wasn't prepared for what was coming up. And he didn't know that, I mean, Peter had a sword. I mean, he didn't use it correctly, but at least he had a sword. The soldiers had swords and, and shields and spears and, and whoever, who knows what else, and all the people there, and the disciples were there, and this guy shows up. He's like, hey, what's going on? And he's got this little towel wrapped around him. He was not prepared. That'd be a little embarrassing, wouldn't it? You ever get those weird dreams just kind of, you're underdressed for places? It's, it's, it's embarrassing, isn't it? <laughs> you just kind of dream you're in your undies, and it's like, you're just kind of awkward. I used to be a basketball ref. And sometimes I would dream those dreams, and it would be awful. And I wake up in the middle of the night thinking I'm refing a game, and I'm trying to wrap the blankets around me. <laughs> it's awkward and embarrassing, okay? <laughs> like, can you imagine? That, that's this guy's real life. He just showed up, say, hey, what's going on, guys? I'm, right, I'm here. What's up? He was not prepared for what was happening. But what's the Bible say about the Christian life? It's a what? Is a Christian life a, a, a patty cake contest or a Red Rover? Christian life is a war. Christian life is a war. This guy just showed up. He was not prepared. He didn't, he didn't realize the enemy was out to get him. We're going to go to 1 Peter 5.8. 1 Peter 5.8. Because the Christian life, I would love to say the Christian life is nothing but rainbows and ice cream and, and candy here on the front altar here. That'd be great. This is the only church I've ever seen. That. That's an awesome idea. <laughs> we need more churches like this, okay? <laughs> but that's not the Christian life. Devil is not our friend. The world is not our friend. The devil's hardcore enemy. First Peter five eight says, "Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about, seeking whom he may devour." We need to be prepared for whatever the world throws at us, because we're not. It's not always going to be nice. And if we waltz around underdressed or underprepared or under under whatever underprayed, under Bible read, the devil's going to tear us apart. The world's going to grab us and tear us apart, and we're not going to know what's going to hit us. What's the Bible say about the armor of God? The armor of God isn't some linen cloth you just kind of chuck around when you go out the door, is it? The armor of God is something you take time to put on. You do. I mean, armor takes time to put on. The brother came in here after he ran out of gas. Sorry, I had to say that. But he, <laughs> with, his, with his motorcycle helmet on. Did it take you time to put your motorcycle helmet on? Did you wear, did you wear other protection? Okay, does it take time? We just kind of just like wrap it around your, like tie it around the arms, around your throat, and there you go. It takes time. It takes time to put, you see soldiers go to war, they put, the, they put the, the bulletproof vest on, they put the armor plates on the front and the back. It takes time to protect yourself. The Christian life is a war. It takes time on your knees. It takes time in the Bible to protect yourself from the devil. You have to be prepared. Be ready for whatever this world's going to throw at you because uh, it's not going to be, they're not going to throw little fluffy things and flowers at you. Devil's looking whom he may devour. The Bible says he wants. He hates us. The sisters there is talking about, talking about not feeling safe. Can you imagine being mad you can't murder a little baby? That's crazy. I do not get that mindset. That's straight from the devil. If, you, if they hate little unborn babies that much, how much do they hate us Christians? That's a lot. You need to be prepared. Take the time in your Bible to be prepared. I will go back to Mark fourteen fifty one here. Mark fourteen fifty one. First of all, he wasn't prepared. So, but for us, I, I don't want us to be this Christian. 
I want us to be ready, be ready for whatever the world throws at you. Put the time in to, to gear up, to armor up with the word of the Lord, with the, the armor of God, the helmet of salvation. What's the, what's the, what's the, what's the, can we name it here real quick? What's the armor, the armor of God? Helmet of salvation. Mm-hmm. Girl of truth. Shield of faith. Feet shall preparation the gospel of peace. Very good. Thank you. Very good. I could throw you a piece of candy. Would that make you feel better? <laughs> That's what you do around here. <laughs> but it all takes time. Was that what? Six, seven things she just named? named? It takes time. It takes time in the word of God. Be prepared for what the world throws at you. Mark 14, 51. First of all, see, he wasn't prepared. But we can be prepared by putting on the armor of God by by spending time in the word of the Lord. Mark 14, 51 says, we're going to read this verse again. And there followed him a certain young man. I want to focus on that. Uh, he was immature. He was immature. The Bible only, only says certain young men two times. In the entire Bible, only two times certain young men. The other time it mentions is in Acts, uh, where's my notes, Acts 20. That's when the preacher preached forever and the guy fell asleep and he fell out of the window and died. Sometimes I feel like that when the preacher preaches that long. I'm sorry, I really do. Maybe I'm immature as well, I don't know. Uh, growing up, my dad's a pastor. He always, everything was done in an hour. The time he started, by the time he done, he was done, it was an hour. Uh, we, then we went, we went to Ohio, we moved to Ohio, I went to Bible school. The pastor there preached an hour and a half. That wasn't counting, that wasn't counting um, singing and offering and announcements and everything else. It was, that was long. For, for a while, I was like, is he ever going to stop? <laughs> it's true. You feel like that sometimes. <laughs> But then you got used to it. Then I went back to my dad's church to visit, and he's like, oh, we're done already? So, <laughs> the Bible says certain young men only twice. And both times, they were immature young men. Um, he showed his immaturity by not being too close to Jesus Christ. A lot of times, we, we fall in this mindset as Christians. I've been saved 20 years. Therefore, I'm a mature Christian. Age does not bring maturity. It really doesn't. Just because we've been saved 20 years does not mean that we're mature Christians. I have seen 20-year-old, or people have been saved for 20 years, not know where the book of Matthew is. They never read the Bible. Not know, not, they could not name several blatant things from the Bible. We need to put time in this Bible. We'll go to 2 Peter 3.18. 2 Peter 3.18. And I, I feel funny preaching this because my wife tells me that I'm immature all the time. But I'm talking about mature spiritually. Mature spiritually. You can be immature physically and you can mature, mature spiritually but the Bible says 2 Peter 3.18 says but grow in grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ to him be glory both now and forever amen and Jesus didn't save us just for us to walk around like two year olds the rest of our life did he I mean as, as the little one there what's, sister what's your name yes Nicole what's your, what's your son's name Ryan how old is he Okay, when he was like one or two, did he eat with his fingers? Yeah, I, I think we all did, right? And it was cute, wasn't it? But now, maybe he may add another 10 years to him. Is it cute if he sits there and eats with his fingers? <laughs> at 14, I would think so. I would hope so. At 14, yes. It's not cute, is it? If, if, if your pastor sits up here and eats with his, or he sits over there and eats with his fingers, it's not cute, is it? It's cute when you're one and two. It's not cute when you're 15, 20, 25. We do the same thing as, as Christians. We don't grow in grace. We don't mature. We get mad over stupid things. We don't, we don't grow in the knowledge of our Savior, Jesus Christ, the Bible says, but grow in grace. What is grace? 
something that we want everyone to give to us. We don't give it to them, <laughs> right? We want to we yell at people and we, we expect them to act like me. I mean, come on, have you seen me? I'm awesome. But then when they don't act like me, they're idiots. <laughs> you know, They're the worst people in the world. It's true. Yeah, that's my wife, right? But grow in grace, the Bible says. Have some grace for other people. Um, I've grown up in the Baptist church my whole life. I was, I was, my dad's been a Baptist pastor my entire life. And uh, one thing that we tend to lack occasionally, and I love Baptists, I think, I think we're the closest to the truth. I, I have nothing, well, I shouldn't say nothing bad, but I think one of our, almost nothing bad to say, but occasionally we kind of lack in grace. Unfortunately, we do. We look at the world and we, and we, and we look at it and we're like, oh, look at that person. Or look at that person. And I'm guilty of it too. I really am. And we just came from California, okay? There's a lot of weird people out there. A lot of weird people. <laughs> but I gotta show them grace. Because why? They don't have Jesus Christ as their Savior. They're gonna act like that. Their father is Satan. Of course they're gonna look like that. I can't I can't expect them to look like that if Jesus isn't their Savior. And so I gotta show them grace. If I walk up to them and say, You're gonna burn rotten hell if you don't trust for Jesus Christ. And they don't get saved, I'm shocked. But I showed them grace. <laughs> I told them the gospel. No, show them some grace. The Bible says grow in grace. Grow in the Christian faith. Uh, Ephesians 4. Ephesians 4.14. Let me go to Ephesians 4.14. So time is here. Okay, i got to hurry up here. Jesus Christ does not need a bunch of Christians that have been saved 35 years to walk around like two-year-olds. We need to mature and grow in grace and grow in faith. Ephesians 4.14 says that we henceforth be no more children, tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they lay in wait to deceive. But speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ. You ever say that to your kids, grow up? Sometimes we need, we need to look in the mirror and look at ourselves and say, grow up. We really do. We really do. Jesus Christ wants us to be mature Christians. Mature Christians. We're going to go back to Mark 14 here. We're going to wrap this up. Something I feel that this perhaps is the most important part. Because we have traveled, the last three months we've been in how many states? A lot. Like 25 states, okay? We've driven from northwest Indiana to Florida to Texas to, to Seattle to Washington, to California, and back. We've been all over the country. And I'm noticing a trend that's very alarming to me. Christians are not serious about the Christian world. They're really not. And it's sad. Uh, Mark 14, 52 says, And he left the linen cloth and fled from them naked. He wasn't serious about the Christian life. He really wasn't. He was not serious about the Christian life. If you, uh, if you contrast him with David's mighty men, and I love David's mighty men, Obviously, I named my oldest son Joab after, after David's general. I love the blood and the guts of the Bible. I think it's great. And, but look at David's mighty men. What was the one man famous for? Everyone left, and he's standing in a field of barley, and he fought to the very bitter, until his hand claved to the sword. See, he fought to the bitter over barley. Barley's disgusting. It really is. And lentils, which isn't as bad. If you put bacon in, it's better. But he, they fought to the better, bitter end for, these, for this little grain. And in contrast with this man, they grabbed him. They grabbed his cloth. He's like, yep, I'm out of here. Bye. <laughs> He's like, I don't care. I don't have anything on. I'm gone. All he cared about was himself. All he cared about was his own hide. It's like, I am gone. He was not serious about the Christian life. If he, I, I, I would dare say, if he knew that Jesus Christ was going to be taken that night, he probably wouldn't have gone to the garden. He probably would have stayed home. 
watching Netflix, whatever, whatever they had back then. Okay, I'm not sure what they had back then. Watching, watching, I don't know. <laughs> I can't think of anything right now off the top of my head. But he, he just, he just took his cloth, threw it around him. Wasn't serious about the Christian life. As soon as the hardships came, he was gone. Said, okay, this looks tough. Bye. <laughs> you ever see people do that? Say, man, I'm here for the Christian. I'll come, I'll come, and, and then life happens. And life smacks them in the face. And they say, this is not what I thought it was by. But the Bible says, we're going to Ephesians 6. We're going to Ephesians 6, and we're going to finish with this. After the sister just talked about, just uh, named the uh, armor of God, we're going to read a verse here that I found very, very interesting. This man wasn't serious about the Christian life. But the Christian life is not just a fad. It's a lifestyle. It is. It's not something that we want to try out for five years or for a couple months. It's life term, lifelong commitment. Like marriage should, marriage should be a lifelong commitment. Uh, Christian lifestyle is lifelong commitment. Jesus didn't save me for five years. Jesus saved me for the rest of eternity. I should be able to give him the rest of my life. To the good times and the bad times. The Bible says, Ephesians six thirteen says, Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that ye may that ye may uh, I can't speak that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done a few things, it's okay to leave. What's the Bible say? Having done, you know, your part, it's okay to sit down. What's the Bible say? Having done all to lay down in bed, to stand. Having done all to stand. That's what we're supposed to do. Stand. Stand face against the devil, face against what's going on. I do appreciate, Miss Nicole, I, I appreciate what you're doing. Someone needs to stand up. Someone needs to stand up for those for those unborn babies. I appreciate that. You're standing. But it shouldn't be just her. Really. It shouldn't be just her. We should all be standing. And not just in this one area. Abortion. Every area. Sin is sin. Sin is sin. We need to stand. If we're going to be serious about the Christian life, we're going to do something. I'm not saying this man could have changed history. He couldn't. Um, this was, there were too many people. But you know what? He didn't have to end up some anonymous, embarrassing, naked dude running away. Really? Really? He didn't have to. If he stood up, we probably would have known his name. Why don't we have? You never know. But I don't want it to end up some anonymous, naked Christian standing in front of God saying, I ran when it got tough. Well, I, I, I worked, I served you for like five years and okay, and then... I'm done. There's a lot of people that do that. A lot of people come to church for a few years, the devil gets them and they leave. They're not, they don't stand. The Bible says, having done all you can, do everything you can to stand. And keep going and keep standing. If you have the armor of God on, man, that'll help. That'll help so much. But be serious about the Christian life. I don't want anyone here. I don't want us to end up like this anonymous man, this nameless young guy that just... See, I think I'm going to follow Christ. I think I'm going to do it. I think I'm ready. Oh, wow, I'm not ready. <laughs> and it's okay to say you're not ready, but it's not okay to run away. <laughs> it's okay to step back and mature and grow in your faith and your, in your knowledge, but it's never okay to run away from the Lord. It's never okay to say, okay, as we say in Costa Rica, ciao, see you later. You know, <laughs> I don't, I don't, this is not what I thought it was going to be, having done all to stand, the Bible says. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this day you've given us. Lord, I thank, you for, uh, I thank you for this church here, Lord. Please help us not to be that anonymous Christian that abandons you when the going gets rough. Lord, please help us just to be like those mighty men that stood, stood and fight.
and fought to the very bitter end. Lord, please help us to be those Christians that just mature and grow and tell others about you and put on the whole armor of God and just, just keep going strong for you. Lord, I do thank you for this church, for the light they are being here to, to this area. Lord, thank you for them. I praise you on your name. Amen.